Welcome to the Aaron Church Podcast, where our mission is bringing life to everyone, everywhere, every day. Each podcast episode features the latest talk from our church, which are released weekly. We're passionate about Jesus, love to worship together, and are committed to changing our community for the better. Connect with us at aaronchurch.com. morning, Gareth referred to me as DJ JJ. That is, in fact, because I used to be a mobile DJ. Some of you will know this because I've probably um, like uh, hosted at some of your events. Um, as a mobile DJ, of course, the idea is that I turn up at a venue and I put up speakers and a sound system and then I play a fun soundtrack for a celebration, right? So I had the absolute privilege while I was being a mobile DJ of uh, officiating people's weddings, playing the first dance for people, uh, for people when they got married, the, where the bride and the groom come together, their first dance. That's a really great moment. And as a DJ, it's brilliant because the bride and the groom, as you know, choose the song and you play the song and they step onto the dance floor and they sway together and then maybe some more couples come and join them and the dance floor gets filled up. And then as a song comes to an end... I press play on an absolute banger. And the dance floor is full and everybody's going for it. And then my job during the night is to keep that energy up and keep everybody going, right? You've all been to a disco, right? Some of you not. Um, that, those wedding times, those celebrations, I also got to do 21st birthday parties and 18th birthday parties. And it's an absolute privilege. Um, all of us have been to celebrations of some sort. Um, when you look back, what are your most amazing memory moments? Those times which you look back on and smile. Come on, let's have some thoughts. Surely weddings, right? Give me nods. Yeah, weddings, people, your own wedding, if you're married, that hopefully was a good time. Uh, birthdays, anything else? Those, those really important memory moments? Your child being born, maybe? Yeah, oh, there's a few nods there. So, some father's like, no. That was not fun, but it was a significant memory moment. What, what else? What other moments have you had in your lifetime that you look back on? Maybe it was a great holiday with friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was when you were a child and you did something with your family and you went on an outing somewhere. Yeah, there's some, there's some nods. You see, the thing is, celebration is part of life. Can I get an amen? Celebration is part of life. And those are significant memory moments. Sometimes we call them um, highlights. And that word highlight implies something that is above, above the rest. It stands above in your memories, that highlight. And we're continuing our base camp series, and we're talking about God on the mountain. We've been talking about mountains for most of this year now. So you get the idea of where we're going. The mountain as a metaphor for our journey with God as we're walking up. Um, that's where we're going with mountains. But highlights, those memory moments, those tops of the mountains, those peaks, those great moments that we remember. The Bible is full of them. And mountains in the Bible were really significant places, partly because in ancient cultures, the mountain was such a huge, vast thing that it reminded people of something bigger than themselves. The mountains automatically became something that people looked at, and they thought, wow, this is significant. But also, they believed, many cultures believed that the further up the mountain you went, the closer you were to heaven. And so the higher you go, the more significant it is. 
And we still use that kind of language today. And in the Bible, right the way through, there are shortcuts. The, the mountains are used as a shortcut for the reader to think, ah, significant moment. So when you read through the Bible and, and the mountain is mentioned, you sh- your ears should prick up and you should be going, hang on a minute, this, this is a shortcut for a significant moment. Let's just highlight a few of these. After being stuck in an ark with all those animals and his immediate family for the 40 days and nights of the rain and then the months and months of waiting for the flood to subside, Noah landed on the top of Mount Ararat. And the floods came down and he opened the doors and he came out onto dry land at the top of a mountain. And God made a promise and put a rainbow in the sky to promise that he would never flood the earth in that way again. That was a significant moment. Imagine being there and going through all of that and witnessing that and God does something miraculous, something never before seen in the sky. There is a rainbow. That's new. That's a significant moment. And then we go to Moses. Oh, actually, before that, we've got Abraham and Isaac. Um, Abraham had his miraculous son at an old age, and then God told him to take his son and sacrifice him. So Abraham obediently made the trek to the mountain, to, to Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, and he goes to kill his son, and God intervenes and stops him and says, no, you've been obedient, but I have a different plan. And God provides a ram and they sacrifice. Scary moment, but significant on the mountain. And then we've got Moses, Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. Um, God takes Moses up the mountain. He gives him the Ten Commandments. Also, Moses asks to see God's face, and God says, you cannot see my face, but I will pass in front of you, and I will tell you who I am. An incredible moment that changed the course of civilization. A mountain, a memory moment. Then we had um, Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, where he faces off against all the prophets of Baal, um, and he has a a massive showdown at the top of that mountain, and all the prophets of Baal are killed, and the one true God lights the altar up with a flash of a flame, and everybody knows that there is one true God in Israel. Wow, what a thing to witness. And then the next chapter, he's run away over, over 100 miles into Judah, and then another few hundred miles down to Mount Sinai, and he hides in a cave, and there again... God passes in front of him, but he wasn't in the earthquake or the wind. God was in the still, small voice at the top of the mountain. Again, what a significant moment on the mountain. And then, of course, fast forward a few hundred years, and there's Jesus around Jerusalem and Galilee, and one of his favorite places, the garden on the Mount of Olives. That mountain that keeps popping up everywhere. Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Olives. He was there with a couple of his disciples, and uh, Moses and Elijah appeared in front of him. And then uh, later he was crucified and buried all around that space. Mountains are a shortcut. Mountaintop moments of spiritual significance. So when we're reading the Bible, those mountaintops are moments of spiritual significance. And I bet if you think about your journey of faith so far, if you think back on where God has brought you from and what God has brought you to, there are moments of spiritual significance for you too, right? Who remembers those times? I remember for me, when I was about 12, 13, the church started a youth event on, uh, on Sunday nights once a month. It was called Cutting Edge. And it was, a, it was an incredible time where the Spirit of God moved and um, people were impacted and lives were changed. And I look back on that as a significant moment that changed the trajectory of my life. 
Another one for me. I went on a trip to South Africa when I was 17. Um, I felt it was, it was the right thing to do. I applied to go on the trip. And going and serving in a different culture absolutely changed my life. It helped me understand that the, my knowledge of God, having been brought up in the church, was connected to the actions that I do in my everyday life. And it helped me become more of who God wanted me to be. A significant moment, a mountaintop moment of spiritual significance. Put your hand in the air if you've had moments like that. Okay, that's most of us. If you haven't, don't worry, God is still working today. So mountaintop moments of spiritual significance. So we're we're talking about these mountains. And today, we're talking about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a celebration that has uh, been carried on every single year throughout the whole of the Christian tradition. 2,000 years of Palm Sunday. Why? Because it was a significant moment. Let me read it to you. I'm going to read from Matthew 21. Um, Interestingly, this is one of those moments that was recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So this is from the message, Matthew 21. When they neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethpage on Mount Olives, there's a mountain again, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to a village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say, the master needs them. He will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, foal of a pack animal. So that fulfilled a prophecy from a few hundred years ago. The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, And Jesus mounted. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in highest heaven. Again, quotes from the Psalms. As he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken. Unnerved, people were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? And the prayed crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. That was a significant moment. Imagine being there. Imagine just coming to the city. As Joe said earlier, people were coming for the Passover feast. The city was crowded. Jews who lived elsewhere in the world would have made their way to the city. It was absolutely ram-packed. And then suddenly this commotion... This guy riding into the city, and the crowds went wild. Now, remember, Jesus has been doing his public ministry for about three years. So it's been building up to this moment. Lots of people may have heard of him, but he'd also riled a lot of the officials, some of the lawyers and the, uh, the priests. They didn't like some of the things that Jesus had said and done. And just before this, he'd raised Lazarus to the dead. So suddenly his fame had shot through the roof. Jesus was popular. He was at the height of his popularity, and the people suddenly loved him. So they were taking off their jackets. They were chucking it on the ground. They were breaking off leaves from the trees and putting them down. They were cheering this guy riding into Jerusalem. And as we heard earlier, they were shouting, Hosanna, which is a complicated word that does mean, Lord, save me, but it also is connected with praise and respect. So they were saying, Lord, save us, because they were under Roman occupation. 
The Jewish people believed that God was going to send them a Messiah who would fight the Romans, declare their independence, and break them free. They didn't quite realize that what God had planned was something so much bigger, so much more world-changing, so much more significant than just freeing a nation-state. God had world-changing plans at stake here. But they didn't realize that then. They just cheered this guy. They thought he was going to rescue them. So here was Jesus, riding on a donkey into the city. Um, Because the thing is, Jesus was known for celebrating. Now, that may strike you as a little bit odd, but here was Jesus riding in. I very much doubt he was sitting there with his arms crossed, looking very sullen. The crowd were cheering. He was there. He was in the attention. He was in the limelight. Jesus was known for celebrating. His very first miracle was what? Turning water into wine at a wedding. So here was a a wedding that lasted many, many days. The wine was running out. People were already a little bit plastered. And Jesus did what? He turned water into the best wine available and allowed people to carry on drinking. Jesus was into celebration. Um, It also says that um, in in Matthew 11, 19, Jesus points out that his critics, those people who were against him, are calling him a glutton and a drunkard. So the people in charge were so shocked by Jesus' attitude that they thought he was a drunkard and a glutton. They thought he was greedy. They thought he just partied too hard. They thought he drank too much. This is Jesus. Jesus was known for his celebration. So I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I think some people do. This was not a miserable Messiah. He was not a sullen saviour. This was joyful Jesus. Let me say that again. This was joyful Jesus. He was known for celebration. His disciples were often accused of breaking Sabbath laws. And Jesus said, no, all the time they're with me, they're celebrating. This guy celebrated. It was a party with Jesus. Does that change your view of who he was? I think sometimes we get caught up in the death and the resurrection and the the seriousness of what Jesus did. And he did do some very serious things. The chapter just straight after this, he goes into the temple and turns over the tables and shouts at people and grabs a whip and chases them out. So he wasn't totally party guy, but he wasn't all serious all the time either. Jesus knew how to celebrate. He was, a, uh, he, he, he was a party person. And so therefore, as Christians, dare I say, we should be party people. Yes, there was an amen there. We have the joy of the Lord. We are party people. We celebrate the risen Jesus. We've got something to shout about, right? We, are, we should be celebrating. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. This is Paul writing to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is Paul who has been in prison. This is Paul who's been locked up for, uh, for all kinds of uh, drama in the streets, for causing riots where he went. This is Paul who has suffered greatly. And he writes to his friends and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. So, 
How do we reconcile this with what Joe brought last week? Joe did an amazing talk, talking God in the valley. Um, A really heartfelt talk about what it's like when we're suffering, when we're hurt, when things aren't going our way. And it was a really, really important word that she brought. And I think some of us are still digesting that and turning that over and coming to understand that even when things are tough, God walks with us. But he doesn't always make things okay. Joe's talk was really important. So we've got God in the valley, but today we're talking God in the mountains and how we celebrate those mountaintop moments of spiritual significance. Well, how do we reconcile that? Well, I think when Jesus said in John 10.10 that he came to bring life in all its fullness, he wasn't just talking about the good stuff. The full experience of life, of being human, is joy, and sadness. It's hope and it's pain. It's suffering. Do you know, sometimes people say, uh, say to me, I just want my kids to be happy. And by happy, I think they mean stable, okay, got the things that they need to keep going. And I, I, I agree with that, and that is true. But something about me actually wants my kids to experience that full range of human emotion. I want them to be safe and well, but I also want them to have an amazing life where they, where they know grief, where they know joy, where they know pain, but they also know friendship and community. Because God, Jesus said, I came to give life to the full, or life in abundance. That is the full range of human experience, not just the good stuff. And the other thing is, on Palm Sunday, as crowds cheered and celebrated, as Jesus sat on a donkey and rode into Jerusalem while everybody shouted, save us, he knew in a few days' time he was going to be arrested, tortured, and killed. He knew that. He'd already told his disciples, we've got the records of it. He knew what was going to happen to him. And yet, he could be joyful and celebrate in that moment, knowing what was coming. Can we be joyful in the moment, knowing what might be coming for us? In the midst of hardship, we can celebrate. In the midst of difficulties, we can enjoy God's goodness. There's a brilliant book, um, it's an older book now, called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Who's, who's read this? Anybody? Anybody read Celebration of Discipline? Yeah, about two people. Thank you, Norman and Rodney. That's good. Um, Celebration of Discipline is not quite what it sounds. It's a book about spiritual habits. Uh, it's a book that explains um, the life of a Christian and some of the things we should be doing on a regular basis. It's about rhythms of life that connect you to the bigger purpose of God. So it's about prayer. It's about worship. It's about fasting. It's about all of those things. And it's also about celebration. Richard Foster explains through the book that celebration is a habit of the Christian people. Throughout history, celebration, coming together, worshipping and praising and having good times in companionship, in spite of our circumstances, is a regular habit that we should be doing as the people of God. Anybody got a celebration scheduled in every Friday evening? Maybe not. Now, we do come together on a Sunday morning, and we do praise God. But 
How many of us consider that as a discipline that we are practicing to get better at, to come together, to celebrate together? I know I don't always. I know I sometimes have to challenge myself on this. But I want to encourage you, celebration is actually a spiritual habit that we can work at and form because it's part of who we're called to be. Now, in that book, Richard Foster has this brilliant quote. He says, The joy of the Lord, so we're talking about joy here, the joy of the Lord is not merely a good feeling. It is acquainted with suffering and sorrow, heartache and pain. It is not found by seeking it. It does not come by trying to pump up the right emotions or by having a cheery disposition or by attempting to be an optimist. Joy comes as a result of the abundant life Jesus promised, having taken over the ingrained habit patterns of our lives. It slips in unawares as our attention is focused upon the kingdom of God. You might need a moment to think about that. Let me read that to you again. The joy of the Lord is not merely a good feeling. It's acquainted with suffering and sorrow, with heartache and pain. It's not found by seeking it. It does not come by trying to pump up the right emotions or by having a cheery disposition or by attempting to be an optimist. Joy comes as a result of the abundant life Jesus promised, having taken over the ingrained habit patterns of our lives. It slips in unawares as our attention is focused upon the kingdom of God. Joy slips in unawares as we're focused on the kingdom of God. Or to put it another way, as we praise God in spite of our circumstances, joy comes. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Joy slips in as we're focused on the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.22, the classic fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I've got more there. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. As God's Holy Spirit works in your life, joy develops. Okay? It's not something we can fake. It's not about me standing up here talking to you and pretending to be happy and optimistic. But as I focus on Jesus as I try to become more like him, joy comes. Celebration happens as a result of our faith, not as a result of our actions. So that means, in the middle of a pandemic, we can still have hope. We can still be joyful. We can still rejoice. Through the horrors of war, we can still find joy. In our sorrow, we can still celebrate because of the hope we have in God. So if you are going through God in the valley right now, we are with you. We love you. We want to walk with you in that. We are not going to dismiss that at all. But also know that as you focus in on God, as you turn towards him, as you work through his presence in your life each day, joy can grow. Despite your circumstances, joy can grow and joy blossoms into celebration and praise. And as we praise our God, who knows what he will do for us? Okay? 
So I'm going to ask the bands to come back up here. Um, I wondered how to close this talk today because I, I wasn't sure where we wanted to land this. But what I did is I brought along um, a handful of balloons and, and some of these things and some party poppers. There's a few party poppers. Um, and what I would like to do is as we, as we gather to praise God now, as we stand, as we move to the front, as we sing together, if, if you are struggling with joy right now, if you have difficult circumstances going on, if you want God to break into your situation, then come and grab a party popper. Come and grab a balloon. Come and grab one of these uh, party blowers. And as we praise together, use these as a symbol that celebration is a discipline. That God is not uh, miserable and morose. He is a God that loves and celebrates and welcomes. And even in spite of your difficulty, as you turn to him, he will respond and bring joy.